Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Well, welcome guys to another edition of Pilates 101. It's a pleasure to be talking to you this month. Um, The update, I guess, uh, here for us in the UK is that we saw the opening of our group classes again in the past month which is a huge boost to us in uh, all of us involved in the pilates industry to to welcome our group clients back i know we had a um you know we had goodie bags we had all sorts of things happening as we welcomed our uh our, our lovely clients back into our studios for their classes and as classes opened up gyms opened up then we're seeing the the great return of a lot of our one-to-one clients as well. So we're not back to normal, uh, that's for sure, but we're on our way and we are eagerly awaiting the June 21st uh, statement as well to see how that goes, I'm sure now, um, because we still have social distancing in place, we still have masks in place, um, so still uh, some way to go for us. Um, But on the flip side, um, I know that you know there's many other countries around the world that uh, are not where we are. Um, our thoughts go out to our friends and our representatives in India, our friends and representatives in Australia, certainly in Melbourne, who are my hometown and are back in lockdown there. Um, and in, in many parts of the world that are still facing significant issues. But let's get on to some other things because while there's been many um, restrictions, I guess, uh, placed on us, it makes you evolve, doesn't it? And it makes you work harder on various other elements within your businesses, within the industry. So for us here at APPI, um, it's been a a, a busy, busy start to the year. We've um, launched our long-awaited subscription channel of our uh, APPI Pilates TV. Um, So I hope that many of you listening to this have signed up for Pilates TV, it's an amazing platform. It's been two years in the making and we uh, are now, that we have the platform up, we have a huge variety of teachers, we're uh, heading towards 200 classes, hundreds and hundreds of hours of content, mat classes, small equipment classes, reformer classes, um, lots of content coming on, at least 10 new classes every month are added onto the platform and teachers from all around the world. Um, Elisa and myself have a vast array of classes on there as well as do many of our master trainers and our friends, as we said, from around the world, which makes it such a great platform that it's not just you know, an individual giving online classes, it's leaders in the industry. You can choose different teaching methods, different levels, different focuses, and mat work classes, uh, sports-specific classes, pathology-specific classes, loads of anti-postnatal content on there as well. So we're really proud of, of the platform. We hope that you've joined us. And if not, please do have a look at it. It's APPI uh, Pilates TV. And it's a, a subscription channel service. And uh, it's it's a great uh, tool for you, like, not just for the people at home, but for you teachers out there to get more and more ideas for your classes as well. And we're committed to it. We are all in on this project, so we'll be doing lots and lots of content as we go along. And we've also seen the release uh, of our online 
uh, equipment module. So this is a Cadillac, the chair and the barrel um, all being broken up. So our full equipment series, the reformer has been online now for a while and we're in the process of filming the rest. They're now available for pre-order, which is fantastic. Um, so that's out there for you guys. What else have we been up to? Pink Ribbon Program. If you missed the Instagram live chat with Doreen last week, uh, head to our uh, Instagram stories to have a look for that. Um, but the Pink Ribbon Program, we're now providing that um, online right across the UK. So that's an exciting program. We've trained our own staff in our clinics and we're putting that into practice here. It's a very important program, isn't it? Giving services and, and help to those going through breast cancer and then we'll be looking at that to extrapolate that into all types of cancer-based rehab as well. Behind the scenes guys, we've got lots of new content coming for you, new classes, strength and conditioning class, uh, for Pilates um, workshops and courses as well. A number of other courses being written at the moment. Um, you'll hear in the interview that we give um, shortly our uh, master trainer, women's health specialist, Sarah Norris has a great uh, anti-postnatal reformer course coming out in September, which we're very excited about, and lots and lots of other content as well. So other news within the industry, what can I share with you guys? Well, there's a big movement happening behind the scenes, and it's a delight that I can announce on the podcast here that APPI um, have joined uh, other industry leaders, uh, including Body Control, Michael King Pilates, uh, the Pilates Foundation, Alan Herman Pilates, Jay Pilates, and we're all coming together um, to create a, a unified body that will give some clarification to the standards of Pilates training. And it's a, a pleasure that APPI have been invited to join as a founding member. Um, we'll be able to steer the industry decisions a little bit more. We'll be able to make sure that you guys, our members that are out there listening to this, um, have a place and a platform where your specific quality of education can be recognized. And I think it's important that as an industry, we stick together. I think the pandemic showed us that Pilates is a different uh, industry to the fitness industry. And while we are all part of that, um, our environments, our studios, what we can do um, and how we can control flow, how we can control space, um, is different to a large-scale gym. And so um, an organisation is being put together. And um, once we have formalised everything, I'll be able to share more details with you. But uh, it is an exciting uh, project. It's exciting to be involved at the grassroots of this. And um, I look forward to being able to share more and more details with you guys as well. Um, a big shout out to our friends all over the world. Um, our online content is being shared on many, many platforms now. So um, really pleased to see that um, grow and grow as well. So guys, look, let me get to the main point of our podcast today. I'm really excited about this. I genuinely am really excited about this. Uh, coming up now is an interview with Sarah Norris. Sarah Norris is a physiotherapist. She's a Pilates master trainer with us here at APPI. She is a entrepreneur. She's a very successful businesswoman. And she's a person that is truly inspirational. Got a smile on her face no matter what is going on. A great person to be around. She's got a lovely energy about her. And so I'm delighted to be able to bring her story to you guys. I hope you find it interesting i hope you find it inspiring 
and I will now hand over to our guest for this episode of Pilates 101, an interview with Sarah Norris. All right, everyone, welcome to the interview for this month's Pilates 101 podcast. I'm delighted to have my colleague and friend, Sarah Norris, here with us this month. Um, Sarah is a physiotherapist. She's one of our APPI master trainers. She's a successful businesswoman and one of our favorite people in the world. So we're delighted to have Sarah with us this month to share her story with you guys and hopefully you can be inspired by her story and she can pass you on a few little nuggets of knowledge she's gathered over the many years now of running her business, of inspiring others, of teaching all around the country and the world. So Sarah, welcome to Pilates 101. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. That was a really nice warm welcome. That made me blush a little bit, but yeah, thank you so much. It's an, an honour to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, look, why don't we start by letting you just tell us a little bit more about your background. And by that, I mean sort of, you know, um, where you studied as a physio and what your early life as a physio was and then how you sort of found Pilates and how that entered your physio career. Okay, so I, you might recognise by my accent, uh, it's actually quite a posh Liverpool accent, to be honest with you, but when I, when I teach down south, people tell me it's very broad. Uh, it took you a while to understand me, didn't it, Glenn, <laughs> when we first met? No, um, that's not true at all, Sarah. <laughs> but I studied, uh, qualified, went straight from A-levels into uh, university, qualified, 2001 from the University of Liverpool and I tell a lot of my mat work one students this and it, it's true really but I went into physiotherapy and I'll be honest within the first oh, few months I just thought I'd made completely the wrong career choice and literally the story goes I had my head in my hands like oh my gosh what am I going to do um, and I spoke to my clinical educator at the time I was probably about six to eight months in. Now I gave it a while. I thought I'll give it a go. And um, he said to me, yeah, me too. <laughs> so I didn't quite get the inspiration that I needed. So I thought, right, I'm going to give it a year. And at that stage, by the way, I actually had applications for Emirates. I'd applied for, uh, to be an air hostess. I'd applied to be a manager in top shop, an apprenticeship, everything. I was like, I need to leave. And I thought, no, I'm going to give it a year. And I, if I still don't like it, that's fine. I'll move away from the profession. So within that year, I'm going to take up lots of things that I think I'm going to enjoy. And um, one of those things was my Pilates training. So there I was, had my back on the train to Covent Garden. And I qualified as a Pilates teacher and gained experience in other bits and bobs and fell back in love with physiotherapy. Um, but hands on heart, truly, it was my Pilates journey that, that made me do that. So I went on this course thinking as a physio, I would obviously know the most, even as a newly qualified physio, because no one else was a physio. <laughs> and I learned within an hour <laughs> that I didn't know anything at all <laughs> compared to all these dancers and, you know, these movement experts. And um, one of the teachers actually recognised that. I think um, she probably saw me that I was probably... Yeah, who's this, who's this person I think she is, this physiotherapist? And she said to me, 
So you'll never ever understand, you'll never be able to teach this well unless you truly understand Pilates. Um, and probably the wisest words that anyone's ever said to me. So yeah. there you go, I fell back in love with physio and it organically led me into female pelvic health as well. That was 100% a truly unorganic journey um, that my Pilates career just naturally led me into. So that early yeah. on or did your interest in women's health and female health come later? No, it was it was early on, but I hadn't really boxed myself off. So when I look back, you know, from the word go, I was seeing attracting pregnant postnatal menopausal women were telling me um, their secrets, they call them, you know, their, their issues. And I was quite a new physio, inexperienced in that area. So I didn't quite know how to manage. I was signposting them to services that probably weren't as appropriate as they could have been. And also there was a lack of services for them. And that's what I recognised. So I just naturally grew with my patients and decided that rather than send them away, I would specialise in the areas that they needed. So truly hands on heart, it, it was organic. So from the word go, I was working with, with women, um, but I hadn't really boxed myself off as a women's health physiotherapist. Okay, so in that, in that early stage as a physio, when you were going through your Pilates training, what environment were you working in as a physio? Were you in NHS? Were you straight into private? Where were you working um, there? I was, um, at the time, I thought I was really lucky to, I did a few rotations, but within a year, I was a static musculoskeletal physiotherapist, which was great for me. That's what I wanted. Um, it was back in the day when you could get loads of funding for courses, loads of money thrown at you, and pretty much choose any job that you wanted to. So that's what I did. And I branched off into private practice as well, Probably I've been working for a year, 18 months, worked in a private clinic. It was quite bold and brave, but nevertheless, yeah. I enjoyed it. I was working under, beneath, I worked for a couple of private practices, actually. Um, I felt like I was in quite a supporting, supportive environment. And then I decided to take the brave and bold move to reduce my hours. And at the time, I remember my senior and you know the manager at the hospital saying to me, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you're not going to get your pension, this, that, and the other. But I never really hesitated. I didn't look back. I was like, no, it's definitely what I want to do. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to do it. You, you reduced your hours to work more at the private physio clinic to do more Pilates teaching? What? A bit both, yeah. So I reduced my hours to work in private practice. And within the practices, I introduced Pilates to the practices. I mean, of course... Nobody knew what it was, <laughs> so they thought I was crazy, especially in the Northwest at the time, didn't really know how to, to pronounce it correctly. Um, but yeah, we started teaching some basic classes back then, I was learning as well. And again, that sort of just led me into teaching my own classes and being thirsty to set up services that I wanted to set up myself. The clinics I worked in were great high. I learned from the best, you know, I'm still really good friends with some of the practice owners. I was inspired um, and I saw, I, I worked alongside some clinics that I, I took good and bad things from, but most of the people that I worked with were truly inspirational. And um, yeah, I was just thirsty to, to do more really. And I probably just had that drive to go and do my own thing and no one was going to hold me back. Yeah, it sounds it. It sounds like you, you, you had 
knowingly or unknowingly that entrepreneurial spirit in you very early on, which is not that common in a, in a, a, a physio for sure. I think in the Pilates world, maybe a little bit more, that's sort of where people are headed. But as, as physios, we don't get trained in you know, running a business, do we? It's all about the actual the work with, with the patients or the client. Definitely. And going back to even, I remember I sat there in the science lab in my A-levels and talking about what we wanted to do. And I was like, well, I want to be a physiotherapist. Do you want to work in the NHS? No, I'm going to be a physio and have my own private clinics. <laughs> so, even how then. Funny, how funny. I, I must admit, I started, uh, I started doing um, mobile massage when I was about 18 years old. And I thought, why not? I can go and do this. This would be great. <laughs> um, all right, well, let, let's talk about uh, that transition because when people listen to these podcasts and they listen to people's stories, I think the, uh, the, the dis- when you finally make that decision to say, you know what, I'm going to go and do my own thing and I'm going to set up my own clinic, practice, studio, whatever it might be, making that choice and then actually seeing it through. A lot of people talk about it, right? And I'm going to do this, but actually doing it and going all in as a business owner is, is quite a jump. It, it sounds like with you, it was always the plan, but talk us through that part of your life when you actually make the choice. And I don't know whether you went for a lease straight away or you rented a room. Talk us through that transition when you started to set up your own business like that. Um, so it was quite a gradual process. I worked with people in the private practices first of all on a fee share basis and then I then worked in a chiropractic clinic where I, I hired a room um, and then I, when I was heavily pregnant, like 39 weeks plus three days, saw a room above a coffee shop and I thought that'd be good when I want more flexible working after I've had my baby so I'm going to ask about the rent. <laughs> Tossed in, husband's like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, it's fine. It's so, you know, for the family, the good of the family. I need to leave my job full time now rather than part time. And I need to find a room where I can work my work around my family. So took on a, a very low risk lease um, month by month. In fact, I think actually, I think it might have been a fee share to begin with, but then it was quite heavily in their favour. So we then moved on to... A more reasonable amount um, but again within the first six to nine months it just we outgrew it quite fast and we found these premises and in a gym Poor baby I was like yeah premises um and yeah literally took on a year's um lease within a downstairs location in a gym okay okay so I'm just gonna um just recap there a moment because we had that uh that traditional and classical slight zoom uh, drop out there for a minute. Um, so you're heavily pregnant. You see this room above a coffee shop. You go for that. You outgrow it quite quickly. And then from there, you move to some space in a gym. Yep. So we saw it was the recession has hit and there was lots of companies moving out of premises. So we saw an opportunity in um a gym environment it used to be a spa there was five rooms I don't know how I thought I could fill five rooms at the time but there we go we took it on and it was a little bit too big for us to be honest um but we we managed to sublet as well 
Okay. And you, you mentioned we and us. Who, who's we and us at this stage? So my poor husband, probably because he witnessed me tottering into this building, 39 weeks plus pregnant, um, he massively supported me. Okay. He had no choice within the first um, couple of years. So he, he co-founded the Physiotherapy Centre with me. Um, Rich is great, but, you know, truly, honestly, doesn't like the business aspect of it. So a couple of years into it, when our baby had grown into a toddler, he then moved on to different things um, and it was myself then that sort of managed the clinic. But yeah, without Rich, I wouldn't have really been able to, to do what I did in those early days. And we also had one or two physios part-time working with us as well, completely as associates. Okay. All right. And so then you've taken on this five-room lease and you mentioned there just briefly that you sublet some rooms as well to other Professions, I presume. Yeah. yeah. Right. So here's a question for you. How did you go about subletting? How did you know what to charge? How did you know, did you, did you have any agreements in place with them? Did you have any documentation that you could use at the time? Um, no, it was all about networking and collaborating though. So the she's a really good friend of mine now, Caroline, the girl who um, we ended up subletting to the rooms. She initially it was one. And then it grew into two rooms. We actually met her in the first premises and then she wanted to branch off on her own. So she left. And I mean, we'd been in the, the gym a, a few months before she moved over. But I've never really found things like that difficult because I do believe that it's the connections that you make and just about being yourself and connecting with people. Um, you can still be professional, but you can still have a, a really good relationship with them. Um, you don't have to go out and party every night, but I found that being able to talk to people and being honest and upfront with each other, I think that, you know, we wanted her business to be successful and we just said we had the opportunity to have a few months rent free, come on board, you know, we'll work together, you'll bring us clients, we'll bring you clients and she, she's still now, she's moved away now, but she had a really successful business and still has wherever she, she, she moved to Blackpool. So she's great, she'll do amazing wherever. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. And now I have to ask you this. I've never asked you this even when we've been chatting, uh, not recording it. But the name, the Physiotherapy Centre, I mean, it's a brilliant name. It's like gold dust in a way to have something so specific. How did you get that? Surely someone had thought of that name. Um, How did you find that that was free? Well, it was like early noughties, wasn't it? So we managed to get the dot-com as well. How <laughs> did we manage the dot-com? I don't know. And people have actually emailed me over the years saying, I'll buy your website for, you know, quite a nice amount, but it's still not worth what I think it's worth. So I'm holding off for a really good offer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but back then, um, yeah, I was very specific. I want a physiotherapy centre. So that's just how that evolved. But funnily enough, more recently, I it's, it's a great name, but I have wondered whether it has restricted me in some ways with the current the current recruitment crisis that yeah. we are all experiencing at the moment. Um, yeah. Should we call it the therapy center? I'm not going to get a .com now, am I? <laughs> no, I, don't, I think that one's gone. But you know, maybe you can get a, a, a .biz or a .uk. They're coming out with different <laughs> different endings every month. Um, all right. Well, look. Uh, let's um, 
wind it back a little bit, if, if you don't mind, because everyone is very interested and, and we did a lot of podcasts through the pandemic and <clears throat> it was obviously one of the most challenging times of any studio owner, clinic owner's life. I know, you know, Felice and us, it was 20 years of running a business and then in one weekend it was all changed and gone and moved and what have you. Um, what was it like for you? You, from what I understand, uh, and correct me if my timings are off here, but you had just opened a, another site as well or was building your own centre? Like, did, Didn't you buy a, buy a premises and renovate the whole thing or something just prior to the pandemic? Yeah, so we found lockdown really hard. Um, obviously, there was the, just the normal lockdown issues, but we, from a business point of view, we'd moved into new premises less than a year beforehand and we had literally thrown all of our eggs in one basket and we'd invested and of course when you invest you make calculated risks and we expected we needed a return on that investment so when all of a sudden you know you sat there in clinic and i'm sure we've all experienced this as clinic owners was just sat there one day and being spoke about a few days earlier, I think it's going to go into lockdown and that's not going to happen. And all of a sudden I opened my inbox and I kid you not, there was 50, 60 emails all coming through, phone lines, tracker. I had my practice manager with a head in her hands and I just thought, I'm not going to swear. But I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And for somebody who in her late teens knew what she was going to do in the next 10 20 years literally not knowing how the next week was going to pan out was just really tough for me personally from a mental point of view um it really really was because i'm a planner i like the strategy and i like to have backup plans in place and you know i literally for probably the first time ever ever i i just i felt so out of control of the situation and I, I didn't know what was going to be you know how was I going to get that return back on investment we've invested heavily time effort we have this building that you're right we bought so we couldn't go to the landlord and ask for a rent-free period because I own the building I had staff taking new staff on so yeah that was really really tough okay okay so now you you know we, we sort of survived through it, I think that's possibly the only word or, or phrase we can do it. Um, did you, during that time, did you try some online teaching classes, online physio? Did you just shut down and reopen when it was possible? What did you do through that time? So I didn't have a break during lockdown at all. I probably worked more than I ever had done. Yeah, exactly. um, again, um, it was crazy. So I panicked. I probably spent a couple of nights with a glass of wine in my hand and just feeling in shock and then I got creative and I thought you know literally you do two things you you sink or you swim yeah. and I got creative um it did get a little bit better when the government announced that there were furlough helping schemes but we still don't really know what they were but it was nice to know that they were being spoken about Overnight, we became movie experts, or we thought we were, but when I look back at some of our original content, I mean, it was horrendous. I can only thank our clients for bearing with us, you know, terrible images, 
terrible recording, awful lighting, um, but quickly adapted overnight, paid a small fortune for lights, sound panels, literally my studio, because it's got mirrors everywhere. It's not meant to be a recording studio. Had to cover everything in these 100 pound acoustic panels. We had to set the scene, we had to make it look nice. We had to pay a subscription, which I just had to renew actually, because it was paid in advance. I was like, what's that amount of money for? But it's a Vimeo subscription. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, we, we got creative and we had to learn on the spot. And my business plan was day to day, literally yeah. day to day. Yeah, I, yeah. As, as I guess it's one of the only things you could do because every day it seemed to change, right? Um, all right, and so then it uh, we started to to open up a little bit more. I'm not sure what it was like for you. I mean, from our point of view, we were were open. Um, but actually it was debatable whether being open was even worth it because, you know, you could only see, you could only treat people for 15 minutes. There was no Pilates services. You had to have so much time between clients and patients and everything. Um, uh, talk us through a little bit about that period. Um, you know, was it just yourself that came back in and sort of like, you know, put the business on your shoulders and got it through that period? Did you bring any other staff back? How was that? It was a phased return, but being truthful, for me, I felt like I was back in control again because I could devise a strategy and have a plan. So I was okay with that because I had a vision and I thought, right, this is how it's going to work. And to some extent it did. So I came back myself and we bought some part-timers back who were able to be a bit more flexible. But a lot of our part-timers, they worked in the NHS and they were literally redeployed to respiratory services. So they were absolutely shattered. And they did it really to help me out. I mean, they probably didn't really want to be here, but you know, I was like, guys, you know, all hands on deck here. We really, we really need you. And then we brought our employed staff back a little bit later with the flexible furlough. And then we started to panic again when things changed and the whole situation was, yeah, quite challenging. We didn't really know what might happen again with the rising infection rates and our classes weren't back and they were a, a major source of our income. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was hard, but we we worked and still do smarter and not harder. And yeah. um, yeah. we definitely things are different. We're still not back. I mean, our clinics are booming from a physio point of view, but we only have one face to face mat wear class at the moment. Yeah. We're back with our equipment classes, um, but we increased our prices. We. Believe it or not, we invested in new equipment. We thought this is the time to do it because the studios are quiet. We need to come back. We needed to replace the reformers. So, you know, made took full advantage of the bounce back loans and whatever we could tap into. And I always believe that, you know, you have to invest. I always take a calculated risk. I thought if we've got over this first hurdle, we can invest and I can see before my eyes that return investment. And yeah. I think we learned a little bit more about who we who we are, who we were, who we are, and who we want to be moving forwards. Yeah. It, it was a fascinating period, though, wasn't it? You learned so much about so many people, didn't you, about yourself and uh, the people that worked for you. It was a, a fascinating time to really gain insight into who people really are. Uh, you know, it, it was really a, a very, very interesting time. 
Yeah, I um, agree. I think that for the first time ever, perhaps I, I'm quite brave and take risks, but the risk, we, literally the business was stripped down to the bones again, yeah. which never really would have happened without something like this. And yeah. it allowed them to really think, okay, so how do we then direct this? Do we go that way or do we do we keep it the same? Are we happy yeah. with that? Um, actually, we've got an opportunity now to, to change it, which which is perhaps it's not really obvious face value, but behind the scenes, we changed it quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, interesting to hear that from you because certainly, you know, from, from Elisa and my point of view, we've gone through a similar process where we did just say, you know, hang on a minute, the business had grown so much. It's like, okay, is it still what we wanted? And it did give us a chance to actually strip it back a little bit and say, you know what, this is our belief, this is our ethos, this is our vision, this is our statement of how what we want with the business and we need to make sure that we've got the right people with us to take us on that journey. So, yeah, interesting, isn't it? You go through all sorts of things and, and maybe there is a plan somewhere in there that maybe we didn't recognise. Um, but let me, let me move on uh, from the pandemic and I want to come uh, circle back a little bit to yourself and as a female entrepreneur and a successful businesswoman I'm interested in your feel I mean you've just described an enormous process of buying a building renovating a building into a a business shifting a business in there what was your sort of experience as a, a female business owner, sort of over the career and, and spe- I guess specifically through that massive transition you've just guided your business through, um, you know, what's your view? Advantages, disadvantages, challenges? What's it, what's it been like for you in that sense? So generally as a female physiotherapist, female business, I see it for me. I was speaking to some of my staff about this before actually. Um, I've not really felt I've been disadvantaged um, myself because I'm self-employed. So I've been able to work my job around my family. I can go away when I want. I I don't feel like I've had to struggle or barter with any flexible hour requests. Um, I can work, you know, what I want and when I want. So it's a huge perk of being self-employed. From a management point of view, with some of the contracts that we've had in the past, some businesses, particularly in the public sector, they, they're quite dominated by men. And very occasionally I have felt like it is a man's world when I've gone along um, in certain environments to pitch a sale. I don't think I've, I've been taken seriously um, at times because of my sex. Um, but nevertheless, that's just reading between the lines a little bit. But if, if truth be told, um, in those situations, it's more the ageism I've experienced. Now, not not now. This is what I was talking about to the team downstairs before because we had a female dominant team in earlier today. Um, I'm 41 now, so don't particularly feel I'm sort of you know qualified as a physio for 20 years. So you know when you first qualify, you don't want people to know how little you know. And now I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell people I've been qualified for that long because <laughs> it's quite a long time. But yeah. I was a manager like mid to late 20 years, and I definitely within those years experienced ages and people didn't take me seriously. I remember once somebody asking, you know, where the, the owner of the business was. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, really? 
Yeah, but that was something I experienced, maybe as a female who was in her mid to late 20s as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's age was perhaps more of a barrier then than my, my sex. Um, but maybe as well, some of it was my lacking, um, but learning very fast management experience. Now, going back to my the recent, well, semi-recent renovation, um, again, I don't particularly feel that my, my sex got in the way. I mean, there was a funny occasion once when I, I came along to um, see what the builders were doing. And again, they asked, um, they asked where my husband was. <laughs> I was like... No. Really? <laughs> we just had to laugh. I mean, it's not that funny, really, is it? But, you know, what, what do you do? Um, but... Yeah, I think that in the grand scheme of things, I hold my own. And um, yeah, that was quite a challenging process because with the whole move, it just wasn't very straightforward. So we decided to buy, uh, it was a funny story, it was quite a stressful time pre-COVID because the building that we were in, we rented and it's only around the corner from here. And it was always our plan to buy that. That was always not set in stone as such, but we had first refusal in the contract. We'd spoken about it and halfway through our lease the landlord actually agreed that she would sell at the end of the lease and on that basis of gentleman's agreement we actually um did work to the premises so we actually invested money and um, not loads because i was always on the side of caution but we knocked through rooms to make a reform studio and then she turned around three months before our lease was um due to expire and said i'm really sorry i want the building back um and i want it back at the end of your lease so three months out three months yeah i've not told you this have i so no. literally i it was a letter a handwritten letter as well in the post so i'm sat there reading this letter i've got my practice manager who was pregnant at the time a member of staff on maternity i've got young children and like i've just knocked through upstairs are you messing basically so i took legal advice i didn't you know write back to her i just thought right what am i going to do and straight away I was told because she owns the building, she there's a few different clauses, and this is a really important consideration for anybody who's taking on a lease. Just make sure you do everything properly. Luckily, we had done everything properly. But because she owned the building, there's a few clauses that allowed her to take the building back and um, if she wanted it for her own business again. She had to have a, an existing viable business, but she wasn't able to just throw me out to get somebody in who was going to pay high rent, for example, or just to put a friend in there. She couldn't do that. But she hadn't done it properly. She'd sent me this letter. So my solicitor I said, what am I going to do? It took me years to find these premises. I'm not going to find anywhere. I've been looking for ages in a different location. Can't find anything. He said, well, send her this letter. It had a legal name and that'll give you at least a year. Because what you're saying is, I'd like to renew my lease, bought me 12 months. So we started looking, looking for premises. Um, and you have to be quite creative because commercial premises, commercial space, and of course, not as bad as London. I don't know how you guys cope, but still the space, you know, is hard to come by unless you're looking at space perhaps in the suburbs of the city where you've got big warehouse space. But I wanted it to be residential within my catchment areas. So we ended up looking um, at houses, um, I went round to old church halls, churches that were up for sale, literally to see what I could get. We had a little bit of money aside because we planned to buy the building. Um, but it took a good seven, eight months to find this detached house that we're in now. Um, and it was a house, it was residential, but somebody had bought it to be a child's nursery. So they bought it as a house, 
tried to have it as a child's nursery. They had a failed planning application. So they then wanted to sell it because the council said, no, it can't be a nursery. It's on the corner of a junction, 50 kids coming and going at the same time. Everyone in the area went crazy. No, no, no. So we took on the hangover of that planning application. And it came with loads of issues because the council didn't always differentiate us from the nursery, even though it was quite simple. But they were like, no, it's the same application. And it took, I kid you not, about 12 to 15 months for our planning application to go through. So by this stage, we technically should have been out the old premises, but we had to go through a bit of a legal battle to stay there. <laughs> and again, we could do that because we had everything in place to protect us because we did we sorted the lease properly from the start. If we hadn't have done that, we would have been turfed out and lost everything. So yeah. just goes to show you've got to be so careful within the early setup and the foundations and you know connect with people who know what they're talking about. So can I, can I just to clarify there, did you buy this premises? Yeah, so the premises that we're in now, we bought, yeah. we bought them. You, you, you had to sit on that premises for 12 to 15 months, presumably, you know, we bought to planning, so whatever. Yeah, it was, it, we bought them subject to planning, so nothing completed. We exchanged contracts that we didn't okay. complete, so again, <clears> subject <throat> But at one stage, the council said no. So then we had to move away from it. And we were like, we've actually lost everything. We don't have any premises anymore. <laughs> so, and honestly, I just put it out to the gods. So I was like, I went to yeah. a Paul McCartney concert in London and he was singing Let It Be. And I was like, I've just got to let it be. Literally, what's going to happen? What can I do? What can I do? Yeah. And then all of the, the council emailed and went, oh, by the way, we've reviewed your application. Um, it's okay. <laughs> So we had to go back to solicitors and actually it was in our favour because at that stage the property had been sat here for such a long time that we renegotiated a price okay. because it was such a bad state of disrepair. So we managed to get some money back um, and then we had to, of course, absolutely gut it all the time, buying time in the old premises, literally yeah. by, day by day it was, to be honest with you, we had to buy time and then we moved in. Wow. Gosh, what a stressful time. And then you back that up with a pandemic to boot. Brilliant. Um, so uh, a few, one more sort of more general question. Um, you're obviously you're a, you're a successful business owner, um, but you're also a mum. You're a mum of two? Yeah, two boys. Yeah, two boys, right? Um, so how, do you, how did you juggle all of that so you've got a business that you're trying to save keep afloat you've got kids that you're homeschooling i'm assuming your partner was working from home as well i mean how did you do that i mean for elisa and i it was an enormous struggle and you know i know from elisa's point of view it was it was crazy for her she was schooling kids through the day working till two three in the morning trying to get up because she had such a small window where she could actually work on the business. How, how did you manage to do it all? Um, I just think I muddled through. I mean, I could lie and say I was really organised and I did this and I did that, but literally in those really tough days when it was days to day, I just got through the day and there was times that I thought, you know, we can't do this homework today. It has to wait. We're going to have to do this tomorrow. Be kind to myself. Um, 
I remember actually you phoned me once and you were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You were like, no, no, no. Are you really okay? <laughs> I think I am. Okay, I think I am. Um, but, you know, Rich, my husband, was great. He was in the hospitals, actually. He didn't get redeployed. So he was literally um, working as a physio. Um, he he made, stayed in his um, specialist role as a, as a knee physio. So he was doing, like, those t- telephone triages mainly. But he... I think wanted him on site. So most of the time, like 80% of the time, he was on site. Um, so we kept the kids at home during the first lockdown. But then Louis, um, my youngest, he did go into school during the second and the third, which was great for me and great for him because it's a bit of a difference in age between my two. Charlie is like 14, but he was great at home. He's a doer, typical first child, gets on with it. You don't really have to ask him. So I was lucky and grateful for that. Um, but definitely I had a, an extra glass of wine every other day um, and I had to exercise more as well yeah in my mind yeah 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 oh wow well I'm, I'm I'm extremely impressed Sarah very very impressed by your whole story and what you've told us about the last few years of your life I hope whenever it is feasible you and the family can get a nice holiday away at some stage it might not be this year I'm sorry but at some stage I hope you get that chance to actually you know, sit back and, and think, wow, you've done an amazing job just to, to be there, to be alive, to be there. The, by alive, I mean the clinic, the business, because a lot of physio and Pilates places have not made it through very sadly. So you should be very proud of yourself on that side. So let's, let's move away from that. And I want to ask you just a, a, a few generalist questions that we ask all of our guests towards the end of the interview. Um, if you could go back and you said earlier that as a 17, 18 year old, you knew you wanted to be a physio and own your own physio practice. And then that evolved into a a Pilates element in your career as well. So if if you now sat here 20 years on, could go back and have a conversation with that 17 year old, what advice would you give them? Okay. So Trust your gut. I believe it's the best business tool that you've got. Intuition is huge, massive data for your own body. And when I haven't used it, I have been caught out. So I genuinely believe that's a huge, um, important factor to consider. And also as well, I like to be friends with everyone because that's who I am. But, you know, I soon realised that running a business you're making decisions for the business and not for individuals and sometimes that can be challenging and not welcomed but you can't take it personal um i'm still learning with that one to be honest with you but you've really got to surround yourself with uplifting and positive people stay away from the drainers surround yourself with people who are only going to uplift you really um and then something that i've I've, believe it or not, only really realised in the past few years, to be honest with you, and I wish that somebody would have said this to me from the start, but know your place in the market. And that sounds a bit silly because I've always known who I want to be and what I want to do, but it's different with me. I know who I want to be, but as a business, I've got different characters, different personalities, and, you know, they can't all do what I do because that would be a bit boring, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have a sense of them. But um, there is a place for everybody in the market. There's a place for mass producers, you know, your budget prices is a place place for middle road and high end. The number of times personally that I have wasted hours of my life going for contracts and tenders that, you know, perhaps I thought we could impress them, but actually when they're looking at 
50% quality and 50% price, we were never going to win because we, we have a different ethos and outlook. So I just wish I wouldn't have wasted hours, hundreds, thousands of hours going for these public contracts. And I probably wasted loads of time, missed opportunities because that's what I've done. So I think that's probably the most important thing that's only took me, you know, up until recently to learn. Know your place. Yeah, interesting. Very good. Very clear guidance there. I hope our, our listeners take that on board, which is good. But look, um, the one thing that I do want to just ask, when you talk about uh, knowing your place in the market and defining your skill set and that sort of thing, um, one of the things that you touched on earlier and it has guided your career and from following you on Instagram and talking to you, um, I know that you've recently developed a really cool program. Uh, I, I believe you call it the Natal Project. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, tell us a bit more about that. I mean, it sounds brilliant. It sounds like it's been an enormous passion and amount of work for you. What is the Natal Project? Well, so the Natal Project is just a an online shift of our existing pelvic classes. And we, truth be told, we've been... The Natal Project, we just didn't call it the Natal Project. We've been teaching these pelvic health classes, bringing in experts to speak to our ladies over the years. But there's one thing when you're marketing in-house to your customers and you've only got so much space to fill. And then, of course, you're trying to market your services online. You're competing with everybody all over the world. We felt like we needed to package it up a little bit more and to within a few sentences get our message across and have a caption the natal project seemed appropriate because i thought well when am i going to take this in the future what am i going to do with it natal encompasses all things pregnancy and postnatal related so i thought that was perhaps a bit more appropriate than pelvic health because i was trying to market to the mums to be and the new mums so it wasn't, it, it might look like it was a really big thing, but actually we were doing it already. So all the work that we've done over the years, absolutely 100%, we've invested hours, but we just packaged it up and yeah, just put it together a little bit differently and then marketed it online. Okay. Well, I tell you what, you marketed very well because I was, I was like, wow, this must have, like, you must have been working on this for years. This looks amazing. So certainly you have packaged it well and you've marketed it very well because it comes across as a very, very specialist service, um, which does take me on to, um, as a women's health expert, as a pelvic health expert, um, you reached out to me and I'm not sure whether it was just in a... Uh, uh, moment of let me just do everything and said why don't we develop another course I really want to <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic why not load more work onto you um, and so um, we're hoping for launch in September uh, yeah. tell us about the new program that you've developed for us so this is something that I think we've been thinking about this for a long time um, just in terms of you know developing the anti and postnatal services and um you know what a better way to do it really than we'll put it on the reformer because to the best of my knowledge there's nothing out there really um that compares to what what we're going to do what we're going to deliver but what i really wanted to do as well as you know we, we do a great anti and postnatal course it's my favorite course that i teach for api it's wonderful it's so informative 
But the reformer course, we didn't just want it to be a repeat of that course. We wanted it to be a little bit different and have um, a slightly different focus and talk about some common postnatal presentations, for example, like diastasis recti that we often skim around rather than really addressing it and helping our therapists and people who teach movements, trying to really teach them exercises that they can actually deliver to their patients. The reformer, I mean, I've been using a reformer for, for years, literally years. Nobody really knew what this strange machine was in the room. And it is phenomenal when it comes to work. Well, you know this, I don't need to tell you, do I? But literally when you're working with your pregnant ladies, when you're working with postnatal, particularly for my women's health, because we can manage load, we can manage pressure, we can bring in resistance, we can do seated, standing. It's so versatile, the range of exercises that we can deliver. I think it's fantastic. Um, so I was really keen to be able to bring along the expertise I have and bring it into the, the reformer world and to obviously deliver it to Pilates students. Yeah, well, we're very excited. So for those of you listening, we have a a new women's health-based reformer program coming out from September. Um, so, so that's very exciting for us, very exciting. Um, but let me let me finish off by um, asking you uh, one or two final questions there. Well, let me ask you one. Let me ask you this. Uh, a lot of people, and we've seen uh, a big shift from mat work onto machines to be honest in the demand for training what people are doing i think you it was interesting you said earlier coming back out of lockdown it's more one mat work face-to-face class more reformer based classes etc so if you were starting out again and you were going to open a pilates center today but you could only buy two pieces of equipment what two pieces would you put into your studio a reformer yeah a reformer Absolutely. Um, it's just so versatile. It's great for business. It's what people want. Um, they really do. Your clients are thirsty for it. There will always be a place for the mat. But if you are entrepreneurial and you're looking at business, you need to pave the way um, and also be tapping into the other courses as well, like the Cadillac and the chair, because the caddy is the next big thing, you know. <laughs> all these bits that you can add onto the end of your reformers. Nobody knows what they are at the moment in my studio, but they will. Five years time, everybody will have a Cadillac. Um, but yeah, 100% a reformer. Um, you can get them really good prices now, but they are so versatile. The things that you can add to them, the boxes, yeah. you can use poles, they look good, they feel good. Um, and yeah. I always say get a raised reformer as well with legs if you're using yeah. it in a rehab environment. Um, Piece of equipment number two. So when you, I, I got this question from you beforehand, actually, and I was like, oh, God, my favorite two pieces of equipment, what would they be? So definitely reformer. And I thought, well, if I was on a desert island and I could only bring one piece of Pilates apparatus with me and it wasn't allowed to be like a large piece of apparatus, it would have to be a TheraBand. So again, just really, really basic because it's okay. so cheap, aren't they? But actually, you know, you can do so much with it. So you can change the recruitment patterns, you can feed into different slings by using that TheraBand. So I think that's a really good go-to as well for anybody teaching classes. You can't really start classes without having TheraBands. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Very good, very good. Well, look, it is getting very late here. You've given us a huge amount of your time and your information through your story. So we are very, very thankful for your time. Before we finally close off here, 
Um, anything that you want to shout out about your website, your Instagram handle, anything you want to share with our listeners from your side? Well, always, obviously, give me a little follow. Um, what is my Instagram handle? This is terrible, isn't it? I think it's... Oh, <laughs> I think it's the Physiotherapy Centre. The Physiotherapy Centre. At, at the yeah. Physiotherapy Centre. At the Physiotherapy Centre, yeah. Sorry, that's awful, isn't it? At the Physiotherapy Centre. Um, and, yeah, we're quite active on Instagram at the moment. Um, come along and see what we're doing. Obviously, come and say hello to me at a conference. If you're there, I'm delivering two workshops, my pelvic floor one, day one. And then, of course, we are not really launching the reformer course because hopefully we're we'll, all going ahead for September. Showcasing it, absolutely. Um, and it'd be lovely to see you online as well um, and face to face, of course. So, yeah, come along. So, your website, where do people find you? Oh, so, the physiotherapycenter.com. Okay, very good, very good. Um, thank you so much. Well, look, thank you very much, guys. If you haven't taken a a course with Sarah Let yet you really have to she's an inspirational person she's a bundle of energy and she's very very motivational I can assure you of that one of the nicest people Elisa and I have had the pleasure to have in our lives so Sarah thank you very much for your time congratulations on everything you've achieved to date and no doubt there's much more ahead so wishing you all the best and we will see you soon thank you Glenn all right take care Sarah bye now bye-bye Okay, well, guys, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Sarah there. It really was a fascinating chat, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, a very honest, uh, down-to-earth chat with, with somebody who has achieved a remarkable amount in her life to date. So thank you very much to Sarah for that. Um, so, guys, this, this brings us to the end of the episode for this month. Um, uh, Lastly, just a, a shout out to you guys. Please do keep in touch with us here at the APPI. We're always interested in your ideas. We're interested in new courses, new products, guests for the podcast, uh, guests for the Instagram chats that we have. So please do send us in your ideas for how we can continue to evolve to support you, to help you, and to supply you with the education and the products and the inspiration that you need to advance your careers and your businesses. That's what we're here for. We absolutely love what we do. To my team uh, in head office that help with the production of this uh, podcast and Pilates 101, a huge thank you to you guys and to everyone out there. Let's uh, stay true to the method. Let's continue to move, to evolve. And I hope to see you all on one of our courses or hear from you through the various channels, the Instagram at APPI Health Group, our Facebook support group, uh, website at appihealthgroup.com um, or the old method of picking up the telephone and giving us a call. All right, guys, enjoy your month. I will speak to you in July. Bye now.